Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. All right, good morning. Good and a happy Mother's Day to all you mothers. This is the day where you treat her like a queen. God. Well, you should do that every day, okay? Uh, I, I saw Ashley Reddish this morning. I said, did Scott make you breakfast in bed? She said, no, I was up before everyone. I said, well, I rolled over and looked at Kathy, and the alarm went off. I said, you want some eggs? She said, no. I said, okay. And, uh, but I do, I do make her breakfast quite often, uh, and I like to do that. I, I'm a, I made good omelets, so... It, uh, Happy Mother's Day. We appreciate all that you ladies do for us. We wouldn't be here without you. So that's true. All right. That's good gospel preaching. All right. We're going we're gonna to get into the word this morning. I, I was very tempted to stay with what I was preaching on last week, kind of continue on that. But I think we need to talk about women today. Mamas, celebrate the ladies in the house. And uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to partner with what Rick was saying up here this morning. I am going to kind of jump off of where he stepped in. Uh, you know, Rick said, he, he talked about the mother heart of God. Now, that might have tweaked some people. Uh, you might think, well, where is that coming from in Scripture? Uh, let me give you a, a Scripture. Genesis 1, 26, the Lord says, let us make man in our image. Goes on to say, so in the image of God, he made him, comma, male and female, he made them. And so the image of God took on two expressions. There was the feminine and the masculine, the male and female. And we only get a partial view of God if we reduce it to one or the other. Often men, uh, often in many cultures and, and in Christian culture, we look at the masculine element. We look at, you know, we use these masculine pronouns in scripture and that was because of culture uh, at the time. But the fact is, Uh, both male and female are an expression of God. And if we only look at the male, we lose something of God. And Rick was talking about that. But if if we fail to recognize that women are made in the image of God as well, and that there's a distinct expression of God in women that is not in men and vice versa. So let's, let's get into that this morning. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we thank you that you are brilliant You are so much smarter than we are. And so, Lord, we're asking, God, that by your spirit, a spirit of wisdom and revelation would come upon us, and you would bring us up into some of your wisdom this morning. Give us a glimpse of your brilliance in creation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read that verse to you again, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I'm going to read out of the ESV. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him, them have dominion. He goes on and then he picks up in verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so God stamped upon human nature the image of God. And that is more than mere, that's, that's more than design, it's vocation. It's a job description. In other words, it's not just communicating how man was made, it's communicating why man was made. We were created to be image bearers. That was our assignment. 
We are to bear the image of God in the earth. And that is why there is such a war against the nature of man, against the distinctives of man. And that is precisely why, by the way, there is a war against gender distinction. Do you realize that? The reason there is a war right now to erase distinctions between gender is because both male and female carry the image of God. And if we lose that, we lose the image of God. We lose one of the primary expressions. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is, is the ultimate revelation of who God is. But another revelation of who God is, is male and female. And nature itself bears witness, Romans 1 says. But also, uh, what is it? Uh, the, the, I think it's Latin, uh, Amago Dei, it's the image of God in man, that, that we are image bearers, that is our responsibility. And we need to understand that, that by our, not just what we do, we do need to, uh, that there is a behavioral component to that. We need to make sure that we are living up to the calling, that we're not acting contrary, that we're to represent or represent. We're representing God as his image bearers. There's a behavioral component. But the fact is there is a, uh, just, just by our nature, being who we are called to be, just embracing who God made us to be, and in reality expresses the image of God. And so men need to understand that male expression of who God is, and females need to understand that female expression of who God is. We need to embrace that, and we need to receive that, because without both, we lose something of the nature and character of God. And that's, a, that's an important point for us to understand. It's Christianity that really liberated women. Prior to Christianity, Contrary to what we're often told, we're told that Christianity is the oppressor of women, but the fact is Christianity is actually the liberator of women. Historically speaking, prior to Christ, women were treated pretty much like property. You owned them as property. They didn't have legal rights, they, uh, and this is culture after culture after culture. It was Christianity that restored and redeemed and elevated woman to her rightful place. It's not that Christianity made her something she wasn't. It revealed who she really was. Christianity came to elevate woman to her rightful place as a co-heir of grace. So people read, often will read Paul or even Peter, the apostle Peter, and they'll, they'll, they'll accuse them of being misogynists, you know, a hater of woman. But in reality, their writings were so radical for the day I mean, so radical for Paul to address men, for Peter to address husbands on how they treat their wives was very radical concept in that culture. Even when Peter says, husbands, treat your wife as the weaker vessel. Some people look at that as, well, that's a dis they're disrespecting women. No, because the very next phrase is, because she is a co-heir of grace. She is a participant. She is an equal. We're on a level playing field before God. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. The cross, the, the ground before the cross is level. I just started listening recently to a book 
uh, an, an audible, the life story, or it's really the autobiography. It's her journals of Mariah Woodworth Eder. Anybody familiar with her? Oh, my goodness. I, am conv- I, I was talking to Christopher about it yesterday, and he made this statement, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. He said, I consider her one of the greatest human beings to ever stand on planet Earth. And I agree. The way God used this woman is phenomenal. Now, I need to warn you, if you want to download the book, it is hard to listen to because the guy who reads it, he, he will, he, this one part, he keeps repeating this phrase and it kills me. He says, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. I'm like, prophesy. I want to write a please. You know, get it right if you're going to be paid to read a book. But anyway, it, uh, but I'm trudging through it because it's so, uh, I mean, they should have had a woman read it. It was, it was written by a woman. They should have a woman read it, you know. For him, when he's reading, and then I gave birth to my third child. It's like, I, 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 I you know, I'm trying to, but it's so good. I, I want to read, I want to listen to it. This woman was so powerfully used of the Lord. Uh, matter of fact, there are, are uh, newspaper articles of her ministering in Perry, Iowa. And one of the Supreme Court justices' wife you know, we talk about being slain in the spirit. Someone, the power of God comes over someone, they fall on the floor and they're out on the floor under the power. Back then, in her ministry, they called it going into a trance because literally they'd sometimes be out for days. They, there was journalists that came to study the Supreme Court justice's wife because she was out for days in ecstasy in heavenly places. And they would come and just look at her and write about it. It was an amazing thing. This woman would come into to cities and so many would be saved. Just the power of God would come upon them. I, uh, recently, Kathy and I were watching a preacher on TV and he was talking about the conversion of the Garlock family under Mariah Woodworth Setter Edder's ministry. So we're celebrating women, okay? So I'm gonna tell you a little history. I'm gonna tell you a little brag on Mariah Woodworth Edder's ministry. So uh, the Garlock, I think his name was John, I believe, the father, John Garlock. He was an alcoholic and a morphine addict. And this is back in the 1800s. And he had owned a, a farm and through irresponsibility and through illness and, and alcoholism and stuff, he lost his farm. And now he was living on a little patch of the farm he used to own, working for the guy who bought him out. And he, his life was ravaged by addiction and now multiple diseases. I think he had a lung disease and so forth. Just a whole lot of stuff going on. And this guy was at the end of his life. And finally his wife heard about Mariah Woodworth Eder ministering in a, in a city somewhere in the vicinity of where they lived. Close enough that he could take a train ride and go there. He could make it to the meeting before she left. And so she encouraged him to go. And he said, I don't have the money. And she said, well, so-and-so owes you money. And he thought, man, that guy's not going to give me the money. And if he did, I'd use it on alcohol is what he's thinking. He went to town and the guy said, hey, Garlock, I owe you some money. Walked over and handed it to him. He said, you need this and put it in his hand. And he's thinking, I'm going to go get drunk. And then he got convicted. He thought, I've, uh, man, all that I've done to my family, I'm going to use this money to honor what my wife said. And I'm just going to go to this meeting. So he gets on a train, he goes to the location, he sits outside the tent, smokes his last cigarette, takes his last morphine and takes his last drink, throws it all in the bushes and enters into the meeting. And this little woman, she, often what she would do, she so fought 
the call of God on her life because nobody believed in women preachers. They thought women couldn't be anointed to preach. Never mind that Joel said, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Tradition told her she couldn't. And so she would argue with the Lord and argue and argue. And the Lord just kept dealing with her and dealing with her until finally she surrendered to the, to the call. And she'd go into cities and have Bible studies and revival would break out. And then she'd come back home. And then she'd go out during the week and do, do Bible studies, which would become revivals. And finally her husband got on board and said, I'm with you. And she started to travel. And so often what she would do is she would just raise her hands and begin to sing and the spirit of God would fall and people would be saved and healed. They'd go into trances. Mockers would go into a trance and they'd get up saved. Many of them would go into a trance and see hell. They would have visions of hell. Some would have visions of heaven. But many had visions of hell and they'd come to getting saved. So Garlock went there and this little lady standing up at front, just frail little lady, raises her hand and begins to sing and he ran to the front. She put her hand on him and boom, he hit the floor and just went out under the power of God and got up completely delivered. Every disease, I think he had three specific diseases. I think he had tuberculosis and several other things, not to mention his addictions. Totally delivered, totally healed. And he got up and he's gonna go back home and communicate to his family. Now he's delivered. He gets on the train to get back home and while he's on the train a guy across the seat from him opens a flask of whiskey takes a big shot and says you want some and the smell came to him and he was in, internal this resistance no all of a sudden they hit a bump and the guy fell on him and poured whiskey all over his shirt so now this has been several days of travel he's dirty he smells like whiskey and he's happy so when he walks in the door his family wasn't real receptive he comes in, I'm home. <laughs> and the family's like, it, the son uh, intercepted him and, and smelled him and said, Dad, you did it again. Was so disgusted. And the dad said, get your mother, call everybody into the living room. And he sat him down. He'd never read the scriptures to his family. He pulled out a Bible. He said, we're going to read the scriptures in this house from now on. He began to read from the Bible. He pulled out a, a fiddle. I think he was a fiddle player. Started playing the fiddle. Sang some hymns. And the power of God began to descend on his family. And his kids said, Dad... We want what you have. This family went on to be one of the most famous missionary families in Pentecostalism. H.B. Garlock became a very famous missionary. He has crazy stories. Stories of being, he, he was a pioneer missionary in Africa when it was called the Dark Continent. There were times where he was being chased by headhunters. He wrote a book called Before We Kill and Eat You. That kind of gives you the idea of what he experienced there. And uh, he goes to, goes to a river one time. He's running from some natives. And uh, he kneels down, starts praying, lifts his head up. He's on the other side of the river. Just got up, kept on running. I mean, crazy miracles he experienced. That was H.B. Garlock. His brother-in-law, his sister married a guy named A.N. Trotter. A.N. Trotter was a famous uh, missionary evangelist, tremendously used of God. Now this is, I was telling John Lemmick's this story the other day. We took a road trip. This... Uh, Here's an interesting little story that has nothing to do with women, but I think you'll find it interesting. One time, Ann Trotter was in a meeting, and uh, he was preaching this revival, and when the Spirit of God began to move, this one guy about the third row in would go, brrr, brrr, and he'd look at me and think, that is weird. But he noticed it was when the Spirit of God began to move. 
So he, he leaned over to the pastor. He said, hey, what's the deal? And the pastor said, oh, that's one of our elders. He's a little different, but he's a real man of God. Tremendous integrity. He knows Jesus. That guy has a real walk with God. So night after night, the Spirit of God had begun to move. So he thought, that is weird. So a few months later, H.B. Garlock is back from Africa. And they're in a house, and they're having a prayer meeting, these two brother-in-laws. And they're just going after it, praying for a harvest of souls. And as they're praying, all of a sudden, H.B. goes, and A.N. says, whoa, wait a minute. What, what are you doing? What is this? And he said, oh, and he said it was some African dialect. I don't remember. He said, it means it's real. It's real. It's real. So, it's real. So this family, this family was tremendously used of God. Uh, one of his sisters wrote a famous book on intercession, spent many years on staff at CFNI, but they were the fruit of this little woman who fought the call of God. And even though the church of her day often resisted. There's something about, by the way, Pentecostalism that has been a champion of women in ministry. Some of our greatest movements, the Four Square Movement, was started by Amy Semple McPherson. Tremendous touch of God on this woman. She was ministering out in Hollywood and built a sanctuary that sat some 6,000 people back in the 20s. It was unheard of back then. Tremendously used of God. And so this thing of women being used by God and being a necessary expression of the nature and character of God is something we need to embrace. And we need to realize that without Christianity, Christianity is the liberator of women. And everywhere the gospel goes, women find equality with men. And next thing you know, they're in leadership alongside of men and often leading them. Wherever the gospel goes and where the gospel is stifled, women will end up losing their rights. Now, modern-day feminism, there are there's some good elements of feminism in the sense that they are contending for the truth that women are equal to men. They're not of lesser value. But often, modern-day feminism is, is rooted in an anti-God philosophy. And when you lose that, they, what you end up doing, they're, they're like a ship that's taking their cannons and pointing them on their own hull. And they sink their own ship. Because they look at Christianity as the, the oppressor of women when in actuality it's the, it's the one movement in the earth that holds the line. You can put it this way. Theology, or ideas have consequences and no ideas have greater consequences than theological ones. And although this seemingly obscure verse in the beginning of Scripture doesn't seem like it's central to our faith, well, you know, God created man and woman. That's just how we, that's our arrival. And let's get on to the good stuff. Jesus, you know, God became man and Jesus died. The fact is, this is key to a proper worldview. And when we let go of this, it has dire consequences what it does is it destroys the family and destroys the next generation. And whereas when women are liberated from the wrong mentality, they may at first be elevated 
and in some respects be elevated above men. And we're seeing that today. We're seeing that the answer to discrimination is reverse discrimination. But the consequences of that ultimately for women is that they lose their place. We're seeing it in women's sports right now. The whole, the, you know, removing the distinction between the genders with the idea of the champions that were liberating women are now saying we want to liberate those who view themselves as a woman are now going to begin to rob women of their achievements. And it's because we're not staying true to the truth. This is not just some side theological issue. This is about the world and how it works. It's a worldview. And man and woman are created in the image of God. When God looked, he said, let us create man in our image. God had this dream, and so he created a man. And I've often said, if you've been around here for a while, God worked for five days, and every day he'd get done with his work, and he'd say, it is good. And on the sixth day, he created man. He looked, he said, it ain't good. He did. You look at the text. He looked at man and said, it ain't good. And then he added, that man should be alone. And so what did he do? He took something out of man, a rib. Now, I've heard people say, well, see, the biblical story isn't true because men have just as many ribs as women. He didn't take every man's rib. He took Adam's rib, okay? (laughs) Took Adam's rib out, formed it into a woman, and brought it back to him and said, hey, look at this. And Adam said, whoa, man. And that's how she got her name, theologically. And uh, no, not really. But he, he for, it's an amazing thing because we can skip over these things and lose what's really going on here. There was a dream within the heart of God. God created this paradise planet. And he put it his image bearer and said, let him take dominion. I want my son to rule the earth. And he planted him on planet earth. And there's a specific word that is used, and he created this, and he created that, and he created this, and he created that, and then he created man. It's a specific Hebrew word. I don't remember what it is. Other than to say that there was a distinct Hebrew word for the creation of woman. And that one was bana. Almost like banana, but you take the middle out, banna. <laughs> he banna her. And it, it means he built her up. And it, the, it communicates much more care. Uh, there is a more careful uh, working when, he, when God created woman over above all creation. That's, that, to me, that's a fascinating thing. That God used a different method to make woman than he used for all of creation. Everything else, I I, I don't want to say he slapped it together, but it doesn't communicate the care. And if you ever look at a man and look at a woman, you agree with me, you know, I kind of slapped them together. And it, it was like he's making things, he's making all these things, but when it comes to the woman, he takes her out of that living man, forms her with more care. You know, she was his last creation. And everything else now, recreates after its own kind. The last thing that God himself created was the woman. 
So men, get ready to say amen. Just give you brownie points. She was his last and his finest creation. There, there you go, guys. It didn't mean as much that I had to prompt you, but, you know, I didn't want you to miss the opportunity. But it, God took more care, and it's very specific in the Hebrew. And it, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. So God, God wanted image bearers. And again, that's not just, that wasn't just an idea, hey, I want to make an image bearer. God, that, that speaks to our vocation. That's the purpose of our existence. We bear the image of our creator as sons and daughters before all creation and take dominion over it. And so he created man, and he said, it's not good that man should be alone. So he took something out of man, formed it into a shape that man would be attracted to, and gave that individual back to man and said, now become one with her. And the two shall become one flesh. And that was the way they were to recreate after their own kind. And previous to that, if you look in the Genesis text, all these things in creation were, were multiplying after their own kind. God only made trees once, and then after that they would multiply after their own kind. All the plants, but even man and woman. But God took man, took woman out of man, presented her back, and then told them to become one. We've talked about this in regards to marriage. It, it, to me, it, it is, it's a fascinating thing that God would say to Adam, I took something out of you that you were previously one with. It was part of you. I separated it from you, gave it its own mind, will, and emotions, its own opinions, its own desires, and now I'm gonna bring it back to you and I'm gonna tell you become one with the thing that you used to be one with. And when he looked at it, he thought, this is a great idea. But after the first argument, he's think, kind of rethinking that policy, you know? <laughs> Because now it's going to take work to become one with this individual that he used to be one with in the first place. And it begs the question, God, why in the world, if you wanted me one with this woman, why did you take her out of me in the first place? And the only conclusion that I can come to, as I've thought about this a lot, the only conclusion I can come to is that he wanted oneness through mutual sacrifice. He wanted to achieve unity through sacrifice. Now it would demand love. Because if Adam had his rib, he was already one with his rib. Precious rib. He, he was already loving himself. But when, he took, when it came, was taken out of himself, the, the Hebrew word for uh, when, when Adam looks at, at Eve, he says, oh, he, he recognized, he said, this is my Self, this is self of my very self is the way it really reads in the Hebrew. This is self of my very self. He recognized himself in her. Matter of fact, if you look at the text, prior to that, God says, it is not good for man to be alone. And then all of a sudden, and God brought all the animals of the field and Adam named them and whatever he named them, it would be named. And then it says, and no suitable helper was found for Adam. You think that's like out of context. Like what does that have to do with Adam being alone? What God was doing is awakening within Adam an awareness that he's alone when he marched all these animals two by two. He was, the only, he was like the only one, the only wallflower at the dance. The rhino had a date, you know. The elephant had a date. Everyone else had a date, and Adam's alone. And God was awake. God saw his need, but Adam didn't see his need. And so this is, by the way, this is a template by which God still operates God looks at something in our life and says, that ain't good. 
We don't even know it's not good. We don't have a reference point. So God will allow circumstances to come into our life to awaken us to our need. And when we realize, wow, this ain't good. But we still don't have a solution. And no suitable helper was found for him. There was an awareness that was awakened within him. He's looking at all the animals thinking, I can't find a date. And then out of his search, he gives up and God puts him to rest. And out of his rest, God brings the answer. And now Adam has to learn to walk in relationship with this woman. And he will never be completely fulfilled without her expression in his life and vice versa. And whether you're married or not, whether you ever get married, and some people are called to celibacy. God has given you a grace and don't let anybody tell you there's anything wrong with you. If that's the grace on your life, And if you have a desire to get married, you probably don't have that grace. So ask God for a spouse, and he can do it. But even if you're not married, and you never want to get married, you still need the opposite sex, the opposite gender, because there's an expression of the nature and character of God that they carry, which Rick Arrowood so eloquently communicated to us this morning. There are ways that mothers operate that fathers don't. There's ways that mothers interact that dads don't. There's some scriptures I can hang it on, but not definitively. One One of my favorite Mother's Day passages is Deborah. And she was, Deborah, I think it was wife of Lipidoth. No wonder she was the primary Lipidoth. But it, she, uh, she was the leader and God used her powerfully. But it says of her, she was a prophetess, a judge, and a mother in Israel. A prophetess, a judge, and a mother in Israel. And I think, because I believe that nothing is by chance in Scripture. I think that that's an allusion not just to Deborah's role, but Deborah really living as the woman that God called her to be. And I believe every woman carries this prophetic element. Tell you what, in Pentecostal churches, women are more readily susceptible or susceptible. It's like a disease. Oh, I got got spiritual gifts. Please pray for me. I'm not susceptible. They're more inclined towards They're more inclined towards spiritual gifts and the moving of the spirit, more naturally. Women are more intuitive by nature. It's embedded in who they are. And they will pick up on things. And guys, I'm telling you, your wife has an intuition that you better pay attention to. I was just thinking this morning in worship. There's been some key events in this church that it was my wife that prompted me to go down that path that resulted in some really good things for this congregation. And the, one of the reasons I, I listened is because it was, it was just out of character for her to say those things. But she, saw, she said, I think you need to do this. I'm like, huh? Yeah, I think that's what you need to do. And I did it, and man, there was tremendous fruit from it. Because there's an intuition in women you know, people that have studied the psychology of male and female and, and uh, that there's a war even against that. I remember as, as long as 20 years ago now, I still have the magazine because it just, 
It struck me so that I kept it. It was Time Magazine and the front cover was, it was like breaking news. There is a difference between men and women. <laughs> Thinking, wow, and a journalist went to school for that, you know? There's a war against that, but there's been a long-held understanding that there is a difference between male and female. Even psychologically, the way they look at things, chemically, genetically. When God took woman out of man, when he took that thing out of man, and so therefore the image of God was in him, and he took a portion of it out of him and brought it back to him, and together they have the image of God. There, is, there, is, there are Elements of the Godhead, there's elements of God's nature that come through woman. That's why Jesus said, I long to pull you unto me as a mother hen would her chicks. That is feminine motherly language. And it was the nature of God speaking. And we need to understand that, that there's elements of God that come through that. My mom... She's today, right now, she's in a rehab facility. A couple weeks ago, she fell, snapped her wrist, and uh, so they had to put a plate in it, went into surgery, and so Christopher and I went down to see them and just see how they're doing, and, and uh, the next day after we left, she fell and broke her hip, so they had to give her a new hip. Now she's in a rehab facility, and so I, I've been calling her pretty much every day, and she's just up in spirits, and she tells me, I love you with all my heart. I'm so proud of you. I've got a good mom. I tell you what, when I was running from God, there were times where my dad's faith wavered, and I completely understand. But my mom never wavered. She knew her boys were going to live for Jesus. When my brother John, who took a lot longer than me, <laughs> it was the grace of God, I know, took a lot longer to come to the Lord than me. He ended up in the psych ward. He was using meth and seeing things and calling the police with these visions coming at him. And he, he had a gun, you know, gun ready to blow away the visions. And so they thought, we, we better lock this guy up for a while. And while he was in the, the hospital, he realized, man, I could end up here for the rest of my life. And so he began to seek the Lord. He never told us. He, he'd been walking with the Lord for several months before he let us know. I'll never forget, about a year after John got saved, we went to a conference in, in uh, Chicago with John and Carol Arnott, I think it was. No, it was Randy Clark. And a uh, powerful conference. It was Christopher and I, my brother John, and my brother-in-law, Darren. And Darren has been walking with the Lord for years, and we're all, but John, he's the newbie. We're still kind of freaking out. He's going to go to a Christian conference with us. And uh, he's telling us about a buddy of his that got saved in jail. And he said, I can't believe I hear this guy talking about Jesus. And we all went, <laughs> like, yeah, right. But my mom never wavered. In all his craziness, she would just tell him. She'd tell us. She would just tell him, you're going to serve Jesus. She'd just keep loving him and just believing and speaking faith. And we didn't have a chance because we had a praying mom. Deborah was a prophetess. And there's something about a mom that can see. It's like what, what Rick said. His, his dad would say, this is what you need to do. Get at it. And that's a dad's role. But a mom, she would speak to her, his identity. That's not who you are. And she would keep speaking to that identity. 
Women, I'm telling you, you've got an authority on your voice. This is a very prophetic church. We've had international prophets come in here again and again, and often they'll be prophesied over almost as much as they prophesy. And they've told me, well, this is a very prophetic church. But you know who paved the way in that, ladies? You did. There is an authority on your voice to relate with those around you, and you see things that men don't, and you call that out. You can do the same with your children and even your husband. What you speak to will come to the surface. If you speak to someone's flesh, that's what you'll get. But there's something about women I've seen again and again, the grace to speak to their rebellious children's spirit, their wayward husband's spirit. Their, they talk to people's spirit, and that's what comes to the forefront. Speak the best of them. And there's something about women that have that grace. Now, we men have to work at it more than you do. But there's something about women that recognize that. It says of Moses' mother, it says she realized he was a beautiful child. Think, what a weird thing to mention. How many of you ladies, when you looked at your child, thought, oh, I, I got an unbeautiful one. Raise your hand. Yeah. I mean, that's just part of being a mom. You know, You're, that's a beautiful child. But what it means is that she realized, even as an infant, this is a child of great destiny. She recognized that. And that's the role of a woman to call that out, to be that encourager, that nurturer, to take that fledgling embryonic human form and nurture it into full grown potential. In the words of that great theologian, Jim Gaffigan. How many of you know who Jim Gaffigan is? Raise your hand. How many of you don't know who Jim Gaffigan is? Look him up on YouTube. He's a comedian, not a theologian. He's a Catholic. He's got like five kids. And uh, so a lot of his jokes are about his kids. And, uh, but I, I remember watching him one night. And he said, a woman can make a human in her body. Then she can birth a baby, a human, through her body and then turn around and feed a human with her body. It's amazing. Then he went on to say, and when I consider my contribution to the whole thing, it's almost embarrassing, <laughs> you know? It's an amazing thing. But that physical makeup of a woman really does speak to the spiritual what they can do, that nurturing and that speaking into people. Early on, when I first got saved, the biggest influence in my life were the spiritual mothers God put in my life, not the spiritual fathers. It's because I was so broken and beaten down. But God brought these spiritual mothers, and they, they were disciplinarians. I mean, they, they would push me, and, but they, they believed in me before I believed in myself. Ladies, I want to encourage you this morning. You carry something from the Father, but it's in you by nature. God put it in you. When he, when he made man in his own image, there's an element of himself that he pulled out of the man that we can't touch without embracing you. 
without relationship with you, that we can't, there's, there's an element of the nature of God we can never see without the feminine coming to the table. And realize that and hold your head high and speak it with great authority because you can call things out of people that men cannot. I would propose to you that male and female are not only physical but spiritual. I mean, there's a spiritual, I believe that a woman's spirit, there's her, her spiritual being is a feminine spirit. I believe that she's gonna retain that expression in eternity, and I believe even your spirit, your, the spiritual element of your being carries those feminine qualities, and a man's carries the masculine. The male and female goes down to the genetic chromosomal level. I mean, we are thoroughly male and thoroughly female. We can't just set that aside and say, hey, let's just relate as human beings now. Can't do it. I can relate as a male human, and women can relate as a female human. And we can never get away from that, and it was by design. Because there's something about that that is connected to our responsibility and our destiny and our occupation. And so, ladies, Pentecostalism has always valued women. We recognize that the sons and daughters shall prophesy. We believe in women preachers around here, okay? And we need you and we value you. There's always been a strength to the women of this house. For many years now, for going on two decades, the women of this house have paved the way. Jennifer Marlott, I want you to come on up here. I want you to pray a, a blessing over the ladies this morning. Jennifer is our women's director. And she, as she was worshiping this morning, the Lord gave me a word for her. I already shared with her, but I want you to take that and I uh, want you to stand this morning. We're going to close with a blessing. And men, I want to encourage you, just let's, let's join her and let's pray for the women. As they go higher, we get to go higher. Paul said, uh, essentially he was saying that it's within our best interest as husbands to love our wives well. The modern vernacular says, well, mama, no, I'm just kidding. It, uh, no, there really is. As, as women go higher, we get to go higher with them. So, Jennifer. Lord, I just thank you, God. I thank you for each and every woman in this house. I'm asking, God, that you would speak deeply to them today, God, and I thank you for this message that's come forth, and I'm asking, God, that you would pour like honey, Lord, into every ounce of them. Heal every deep wound, God, that tells them they're less than who they are. I'm asking, God, that the mothers would rise in this hour, that the mothers would rise in this hour in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm asking, God, that we would stand with boldness and confidence to do the things that you've asked us to do and be the women who you've asked us to be, and that we would walk boldly and confidently in that in everything that we do. I'm asking, God, that we would be women who speak life into our families, wife into, life into our husbands, life into our children, God.
I'm asking that we would be women who speak life into our neighborhoods and our cities and this nation in the name of Jesus. Lord, that we would understand our role in all of this, God. And I'm asking, Lord, that we would lift our husbands up in this hour, God. We would lift the men up in this hour. We would lift our families up in this hour. That we would be women, God, touch our hands, Lord, that we would be women who would build up the house and not tear it down. The days of tearing down the house are over in the name of Jesus. That we would be women who build up the house. I thank you for that, Lord, and I praise you for that, God. I'm asking that you would bless each and every one of these women. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Before I let you go, one thing here. This, I wanted to make this point and I didn't get to it. Let me give you just three quick points, okay? Take this with you. A woman's creation implies more care. Again, God built her up. He didn't just slap her together like the rest of creation, okay? Her creation implies more care. Number two, her assignment implies more care. She nurses and nurtures. That's a part of her anatomy. That's a part of her calling. And her description implies more care. First uh, Peter chapter 3 or chapter four, it says, treat her as the weaker vessel. That's not a slam. It doesn't mean she's of less value. There are, there are things of, of weaker makeup that are more expensive. You got an old clay coffee mug and a piece of fine china. The fine china is weaker, but it's more valuable. So it's not, a, it's not a, an estimation of value. It's a, uh, and so here's the thing. This is not a slam. It's most definitely a correction, however. That we as men are to dwell with them with understanding. A woman is a deep well, and a man of understanding will plumb the depths for understanding, Proverbs says. Now it says, says that uh, people are a deep well, but I'm telling you, women are deeper, okay? That's another sermon for another day. So they're equals. And so here's the thing men, you and I are at our best when we are serving and protecting the women in our lives, women and children, our potential reaches its best when we're laying down our life for others. And God gave you the wife next to you, the people around you, to call that out. And we need each other, all right? Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.